As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? I want to read that again. It's been the theme of our series, Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? So we've been on this journey for the last few weeks, taking an honest look at our desires and how those desires dictate the directions that we go in our lives. And we talked about how the deer desires water so much so that its daily path is determined by how and where it will be able to find water and stay near to water. And that's what this verse says, is the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, God. Our desire leads us in the directions that we go, and then it guides the paths we choose. And Jason talked about that last week, how we have a choice in all of this, but our desires tend to lead us to the place that we choose to follow them. And so it's important that we address the desires of our heart. And sometimes in life we have conflicting desires, right? We have two different desires and they seem to conflict. I read a story recently about a boy who grew up on a farm. And though most of us can relate to having a favorite pet growing up, maybe you had a dog or a cat or a hamster or a guinea pig, whatever, whatever your pet was, uh, most of us can understand that. This boy's favorite pet was a cow named Star. And he loved Star. But over time, his family decided that Star was not producing enough milk. And so they decided they were going to make hamburger out of Star. Well, this young boy, not ready for that to happen, decided that he would load Star up in the family's pickup truck and that he would run away from home with Star. He hated the idea of losing this pet that he loved so dearly. And even more, he hated the idea of the family eating this pet that he loved so dearly. But because he was too young for a driver's license, and with his mom and dad assuring him that they would get another cow, eventually he relented. And eventually, he even ate a Star Burger in his teenage boy hunger. Now, if you thought, talk about conflicting desires right there, teenage boy hunger and his love for Star... Someone wrote a book, uh, I'm told, entitled, Sacred Cows Make Great Hamburgers. Uh, I've never read the book, but I do like the title. So just like that little boy, I think each of us, if we're honest, we have sacred cows in our lives. Not surprisingly, Jesus addresses this issue of sacred cows in our life head-on in Scripture. And today, we're going to look at three sacred cows that Jesus addresses that we still struggle with. And that's uh, our desire for comfort, our desire for our own plans in life, and our desire for our family to be first in our life. And when any of these things start edging out God in our lives, then we need to pause and we need to take just a minute. We need to ask, is my greatest desire for God or has something else become a sacred cow for me? Has something else... Been, become my object of worship or desire even above God. And this is kind of the theme of the day, and it's in your outline. It says, Relin this relinquishing our competing desires gives room for us to grow a renewed desire for God alone. We're going to return to this. I want to read it again. Relinquishing our competing desires gives room for us to grow a renewed desire for God alone. 
Because those competing desires that we so dearly hold on to are the very things that keep us from experiencing a fully renewed desire for God in our lives. So this is our hope for today. It's that we might be able to to identify what those competing desires or that competing desire is, and then to relinquish that competing desire so that it's no longer a barrier for you and I to experience this renewed desire for God. And I know that's our heart because so many of you have uh, taken on fasting in this Lent season. So many of you have dug into our renewed desire journal and you've said, I'm going to make this part of my daily walk with Jesus because you want that desire for God to be like we read in Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2, as the deer longs for the water, so my soul longs for you first, God. When we relinquish things, it's not that we relinquish them completely and say we don't want this anymore. It's that we say, God, you first. You first and then these other things in my life. You alone, God, are my heart's desire. And I want to worship you first, God. Let me give you a little context to what's happening here in this passage, a little glimpse into this moment in Jesus' ministry here at the end of Luke chapter 9. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is Luke chapter 9, the the last few verses of it. If you want to open your Bibles today to Luke 9, you can. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. Uh, We're actually going to be, uh, every verse that we'll be looking at today is in your outline, and so you can follow along in your outline. I want you to understand the context, though. So Jesus was building his team beyond just the 12 disciples. And he's on his way back to Jerusalem, and he's recognizing, I'm investing in more and more disciples for the ministry that's ahead. And so Jesus, we know this because at the beginning of Luke chapter 10, Jesus actually appoints 72 followers, and he sends them out in pairs. Okay, so 36 pairs, Jesus is just about to to appoint these folks and send them out into the towns where he's preparing to go and do ministry. He's sending them out ahead of them. And you can read on in Luke chapter 10 and see the specific instruction that he gives to these pairs that he sends out in ministry together. So Jesus uh, appoints uh, 72, sends them out ahead of him. And just like any good job interviewer in the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus was seeing who might be a good fit for these uh, 72 appointments that he's about to make. You see, people were coming to Jesus who had seen him do incredible things. Many of them had experienced miracles in their own lives because of Jesus. Many of them had heard his powerful teaching. Many of them had been transformed uh, in the moment when they were with Jesus because Jesus had healed them. He had set them free. He reestablished their purpose and their identity and gave them new direction. And maybe that's a lot like what you've experienced with God at some point in your life. Maybe you were on a retreat, or you were on a missions trip, or you were sitting here on a Sunday morning, or you were taking a hike on a mountain, or you were sitting quietly alone with God, and you had what you would describe as a God moment, a mountaintop experience with God in your life. And it was one of those moments that in that moment you just said, God, I'm here. My life is yours. I'm surrendering myself to you. Maybe you can recall having that place or that moment in your life, or maybe many moments in your life where you've met God in that way. And this is what was happening with these folks who were coming to Jesus. They were basically saying, I've had this mountaintop experience with you. You've transformed my life, and I desire to be all in. I want to follow you. Wherever you you go, I'm in. And it was a common practice of that day for people to follow a rabbi that that had been... uh, instrumental maybe in, their, in his teaching or in, in their development. And, and so there were just people coming to Jesus saying, count me in. I want to be a follower. But Jesus knew that there were competing desires in people's hearts. 
He knew that there were conflicting commitments in the hearts of these wannabe recruits. And so he was asking each of them hard questions that address these conflicting desires head on. And this is a tough passage. I'm going to pull back the curtain and just be honest with you. When we were preparing this series and we were looking at this passage to preach, I didn't want to. <laughs> just telling you the truth. I was like, oh, this is hard. This is a hard one. Uh, in so many different ways, as we walk through this this morning, you're going to be like, I don't like that he's saying those things. And I want to remind you, these are the words of Jesus, okay? It is not an easy passage. It's not an easy passage for me. I know it's not going to be an easy passage for you, but this is Jesus' direction for us. It almost feels contradictory, some of the things that he's saying to his other teachings. But what we have to remember is that the words that Jesus spoke to these wannabe followers were words that each of them needed to hear because they, he, he knew their hearts. He knew beyond what they were saying. He understood what the conflicting desires were in their hearts, and he addressed them head on with them. And here's the thing that's crazy is 2,000 years later, Jesus knows the conflicting desires in your heart. He knows the conflicting desires in my heart this morning. And he wants us to just come before him and be honest about it. Because here's the best part about walking with Jesus, especially as we head towards Easter and in this Lenten season, is that Jesus knows that if we live a life of putting other things ahead of him, that we will never experience the full measure of joy, the full measure of his love, the full measure of purpose that God intends for us to have. If we spend our lives constantly struggling as to where Jesus lands and where God lands in the pecking order of our lives and we move back and forth between putting other things ahead of him over and over again, he knows we're going to miss out. There's a plan that he has for our lives that involves us experiencing a full measure of his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and a full measure of his empowerment and his hope and his calling on our lives and the purpose that he has for our lives that we'll, we will never experience if he's not first in our life. He, he knows that these distractions will consistently derail our desire to put God first in our lives. So this is what I'm going to ask of you this morning. You don't have to do this, but in order to receive Jesus' hard words today, uh, you and me both, I'm going to pray a prayer for us. And if you want to, put your hands open on your lap and just say, okay, God, I'm not going to be defensive this morning. I'm going to receive this from you. Uh, maybe you want to pray with that posture to get started today. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that your words bring life to us no matter how challenging and how hard they may be. And this morning, we want to have an open heart to you. We recognize, Jesus, that you see beyond our words and our actions to the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And so, God, we don't want to try to hide from you or be inauthentic before you today. You know us, and you love us in spite of knowing us, which is a tremendous thing. What a miracle that is, God. So this morning, we sit before you authentically and honestly and say, God, would you speak to us so that we can allow our desire to be for you first and allow that desire to inform every other area of our life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, you're still with me at this point. It was a hesitant amen, but it was there. So I want to jump into these three conversations that Jesus had with these three potential followers. And I want us to see together how Jesus challenged them to relinquish these other desires, these sacred cows in their life so that they could follow him. We're going to start in verse 57. It says this, As they walked along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
So here's a guy coming to Jesus and making a big commitment, and he says, I will follow you anywhere. And I don't know about you, but that commitment that this man is making uh, is one that I admire. At least in his words, he's saying, God, I'm all in. And I think that's, uh, that's a, a pretty big thing to stand before God and say. So I respect that. So what is Jesus' reply to this man's desire? Well, Jesus doesn't say, all right, let's go. Jesus says this. He gives a clarifying statement. He says this, following me isn't always comfortable. Basically, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, comfort can't be number one for you. And again, Jesus looked into this man's heart, knew what the competing distraction would be for him, and spoke those words to him. And I think Jesus is asking this man the question that he's asking each of us today as well. And that's, can we relinquish our desire to put our comfort before God? Can we relinquish our desire to put our comfort before God? I can remember in college, I made a really strong commitment to follow Jesus, like really strong, the strongest one I had ever made in my life. And then instantly after that commitment, probably within a few hours, I started to think, oh no, uh, what if now that I've made this strong commitment, God wants me to go to some remote village in Africa somewhere? Uh, what if, even worse, God wants me to go to some cold and snowy place in Siberia. That'd be way worse than even Africa. So those, basically I started asking, how strong is this commitment that I made to follow God? Like, I, I, had, I had myself uh, questioning. Maybe it sounds more like this for some of you in the day-to-day. Maybe it sounds like this. I want to follow you, Jesus, but please don't ask me to talk to people about you. That is so uncomfortable for me. And you know, you don't talk publicly, publicly about religion and politics. Everybody knows that, God. So I will follow you. I just won't speak of you, Lord. Don't ask that of me. Or maybe this. I want to follow you, Jesus, but don't ask me to go on that missions trip this year. It's an expensive trip to do something that is so far out of my comfort zone. Every year the church talks about this. It drives me crazy. Don't ask me to do that, Lord. And by the way, our short-term missions trip... <laughs> Teams are being built, and the applications are due next Sunday for Ecuador and Cambodia. And there's no guilt or shame intended there. Love to have you on the team if God is prompting you to do that. So here's the question. What comfortable thing has become a sacred cow for you? Does that desire for comfort keep pushing the pause button for you on following Jesus? Is that the hesitation that you have in fully being committed to God first in your life? When you relinquish that desire, you have the freedom to follow Jesus in a new way. You have a, God believes in us, and he, I believe that each of us has a big impact to make on the world, but God wants to do something in us so that he can do something through us in our life. But if comfort is standing in our way, we have to let it go. We have to. As long as comfort keeps us from God's best for us, it's going to be a competing dis- desire that distracts us from fully experiencing the life that God has called us to experience. So relinquishing our competing desires gives room for us to grow a renewed desire for God alone. For the blessing that comes from obedience to God's desires for our life. I want to take a pause here for just a minute. I'm going to give you a few seconds of silence in a moment. If this is you and you're honest and comfort is a sacred cow for you, And you know that if you're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, you're going to have to say, I'm going to have to let go of a a comfort or a few comforts in my life 
that always cause me to put that ahead of God. They always cause me to push the pause button. Is it your house? You think, man, I've poured so much into this house. We love this house. This is my comfort. I, I, can't, I can't put God ahead of that. That's my, my pursuit in life. Is it fun? Is it travel? Is it whatever it might be? A relationship? What are you feeling most defensive about as I say this this morning? Because that's probably the thing that God might be calling you to relinquish, that peace that you're so comfortable with. Say, God, I can't imagine that not being the driving factor in my life. I want to give you a minute just to pause and let God identify any, any comfort that you might be putting ahead of him. All right, let's look at the second conversation that Jesus has with another man who he invites to follow him. In verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow. <laughs> if ever there was an unpopular tweet by Jesus, uh, this would be one, huh? Isn't this one of those verses where we're kind of like, just like, okay, let's keep moving. I don't get that, and I don't like it, and that doesn't seem like Jesus to me, so let's just keep on going. I've got a different picture of Jesus, and he doesn't say stuff like that. If you only think of Jesus as warm and fuzzy, he just shattered that image for you. What is Jesus saying here? Listen, Jesus was born into a family that he loved. Jesus spoke highly of marriage. Jesus raised the prevailing opinion of women and of children in the culture of his day. Scripture says continually that we need to love and honor and respect our parents. So where is he going here? What's Jesus saying? Was this man's response to Jesus' invitation to follow, uh, hey, I need to go to my dad's funeral, and Jesus said no? Is that how we, we read this? Or was there something else? Well, I want to let you know there, there are a couple of possibilities culturally here in this time. This man may have wanted to fulfill the oldest son's duty to stay with his father, which was kind of common culturally then. Uh, his dad may still be very much alive, but might be in the process of dying. And it was also mandated in that culture that if you were going to receive the inheritance, that you would stay close to your father's side while he was in that process. So that could have been it. When he said, let me go and bury my father, it could have meant I need to walk through this process with my dad. Or perhaps it was to remain near the body of his father even after he had passed, which was also a common practice for many Jews at that time. Well, here's what I want you to know. Remember, whatever the case may have been in this situation, we don't know, but we do know that Jesus knew that there was a competing desire that was a distraction for this man and Jesus' answer to him makes it clear that this request would have involved putting tradition or this uh, wannabe disciple's own desire ahead of serving Jesus. Jesus could look beyond his words and understand his heart. 
So Jesus wanted to help this man relinquish his desire to put the expectations, the traditions, and the schedule of his family before his desire to follow and obey God. So when Jesus says here, let the dead bury their own dead, he's really saying, let those whose desire is for things other than God follow their desires. But if your desire is for God first, then put God first. Jesus knew the man's heart, and those were the words he was speaking to him. And I think Jesus' concern for this man was to free him from Uh, to experience the calling that God had for him, to be in an unencumbered relationship with God and understand how God designed him to impact the world. So Jesus had some tough words, I know. But here's the challenge that Jesus offers him and that I believe he offers us as well in this area. Can we relinquish our desire to put our family before God? Can we relinquish our desire to put our family before ahead of God. Now, before you get angry and stop listening this morning, uh, I believe that Jesus wants to teach each of us something about this sacred cow of family. And this is just a hard conversation this morning. So let's enter into it with a little bit of grace. God created the family, right? It's one of his institutions. It's an incredible blessing. And we're called to love and to provide for our families. And we can all agree that both the, uh, the family and marriage are foundational to a better world, to a better society, because they're God's institutions. He created them. But what happens in our lives when we put the created before the creator? What happens? When we take anything good and beautiful and honoring that God created and we make it above the creator himself in our lives, it becomes God to us. It becomes our sole focus. Every decision we make is led by it instead of by him. We live in a culture that is broken and it's angry and it's violent and it's bullied and it's overly distracted. And I think as parents, many of us feel like this undertow of the culture and we feel we have to try to make up for all these things that we feel like are destroying our family, right? So let's talk for a minute about how we're more like the man that Jesus spoke to than we are different from the man. If you're a parent here this morning, have you felt an enormous amount of pressure to make sure that your kids are protected, happy, and successful? An enormous amount of pressure. Or maybe you overprotect them from their own choices, some of you are in a tough spot in a whole different situations in that you have you felt the pressure to be solely responsible to take care of your aging parents or parent and it becomes all consuming and before you know it your number one priority is meeting family expectations and traditions and schedule and your own expectations and that seems to be the sole purpose of your existence and in doing so we make it a sacred cow we make family something that is above God. Why would Jesus want to call us out on this? Because he wants to set us free from the burden of family, tradition, expectation, and schedule so that we can learn to trust him fully with those things and our families will be healthier because of it. Because if we worship our families and all of our focus and love and attention goes to them, they're not ready for that. But if we worship the living God and all of our focus and love and attention goes to him, then he teaches us and addresses us how we can be healthy within the context of our families and our marriages. 
And as a Christian parent, let me tell you why this is so important for you today. Your kids need you to model this for them. If you model that they're first ahead of everything, you are really just enabling um, a future of them having competing desires themselves instead of putting God first. For example, uh, we have six kids, so that means that we have a lot of activities that we're going to in life. One of the things that my wife and I have always tried to do, and we've done this imperfectly, but it's always been a desire of ours, was to make sure that we prioritized worship and church and places where our kids could experience God. Retreats, trips, anywhere where we feel like they could come in contact with the living God and with others who are walking with the living God because we know that those moments, those places where God meets them are going to be critical to who they become and how they live their life. Kids, our kids didn't always like that. I mean, kids don't always like that. Sometimes they'd rather be engaged in their activities than go to church. Um, and they'd rather be in a different environment where they could take a next, instead of being in an environment where they could take a next step in their relationship with God. But to be honest, uh, they don't really like going to school all the time either. So what kind of parent would I be if my kid came to me and said, hey, Dad, I'm just not feeling school today or tomorrow or the day after or pretty much this whole month? And I was like, hey, no problem. Just stay home. I guess in some ways that would make life a little cheaper because we wouldn't have to worry about college, right? <laughs> but you know why we make those decisions for, for our kids when they're kids? Because they're kids. And they don't understand the implications. Their desires in life are still being shaped. And they don't understand how a desire for God first is going to be a blessing and a benefit to them in their lives. You know, and I think sports and activities may be one of the biggest competing desires in this area of family. Because in our desire to help our kids succeed and have fun, sports becomes so much more than sports. Now, I got to tell you, I like sports. I do. And I love watching my kids succeed in sports. But did you know that statistically speaking, your child has a better chance of being struck by lightning in their lifetime than they do becoming a professional athlete? Do you understand this? Do you understand this? Statistically speaking, there are that few spots out there. <laughs> Dads and moms, let that sink in. If you're putting so much energy into growing your kid's desire to be an athlete or a musician or an actor or a student, then you are their desire to be a follower of Christ. Where does that leave your kids in the future? What have you told them? How have you invested in them that has shaped their future desire for God? Like I said, I love all the activities that my kids have been a part of. It's just that what I think Jesus is saying here that convicts me and maybe touches your heart today, is that my kids' activities and success and what I think is putting my family first at times does not equal them having a desire for God in their life. Recently, my wife and I have been talking about what is success for our kids when they leave our home. When our kids are, are no longer coming home to 58 Creek Road in Dillsburg, what is our desire for them in life? What will success look like? And I've kind of honed it down to this. It's my prayer that when my kids leave my home, that they will have a soft heart towards God. Not a hard heart, but that they will have a soft heart towards God and that they will have a soft heart towards people in their lives, especially their siblings and their mom and dad. As if it can start there. 
Anything can happen. I don't want my kids to leave our house with a hard heart towards God or a hard heart towards their family in any way. That's my prayer. And I think I'll be brokenhearted if they leave otherwise. There's plenty of room for their development and their growth and their journey in life if they can just have a tender heart towards God. If they can just have a tender heart towards people. Jesus says to us, make following me your number one priority. Prioritize God and God will be involved in your family. God will be involved in your kids' lives. God will help you in caring for your parents. God will empower you as a parent. God will guide your decisions as a parent. Here's the bottom line. Relinquishing our competing desires creates a renewed desire for God alone. And we're going to pause for just a moment, and I want you to think about this in this moment. What does your life reflect is your ultimate goal for your family? Parents, what do you want your kids to be when they leave your house? How much time are you spending nurturing a tender heart towards God and people? And how much time are you just being a slave to the culture's formula for your kids' success in life? We all know what that formula looks like. It's running around like crazy all the time. Do you really even want success for them? This is a tough question. Do you really even want success for your kids? Or is it really more about you, if you're honest? Are you willing to pause and relinquish your idea of success for a better relationship with God, for you and your family to be able to put God first? I just want you to pause for just a moment and let God speak to you about what you may need to relinquish in this area of family. All right, so far Jesus has asked us to relinquish the sacred cow of comfort and now family, and Luke records one more important conversation, so let's take a look at this last one. In verse 61, it says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service again, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Again, what makes this conversation so difficult is that we identify with every person that Jesus talks to, right? We can feel their feelings of reservation because we can picture ourselves saying the same thing. What this man was really struggling with was timing. In essence, this man was saying to Jesus something like, Jesus, you go ahead, and I'm going to catch up when my plans are complete. Jesus was able to look into this man's heart and know this. Jesus knew that he saw a danger here for this man. And Jesus replies with a stern warning, when we delay, we may just stay. And I want you to hear this this morning. When our desire for our plan is stronger than our desire to join God in his plan, we're not growing in our desire for him. When we delay, we may be growing in our desire to stay with our own plans. Something that my wife and I tell our kids all the time is that delayed obedience is disobedience. So when we ask you to do something and you delay and you don't do it right away, that's just actually disobeying. But if I'm honest, I think I delay in obedience to God way too often. 
way too often. For those of you who are familiar with farming, you know that if you set your hand to plowing, or if you're not familiar with farming, even mowing your yard, if you've ever done that before, the only way to keep a straight line is to keep looking forward to where you're going. It's to pick a spot on the horizon, focus on it, and drive straight towards it or plow straight towards it. You choose to resist the desire to look back so that you can continue to move forward in a straight path. And Jesus sensed this man's desire to look back, to review his plan for his life, to check off some of the boxes. He had a plan, and he wanted to go complete his plan before he could follow Christ. Renewing our desire for God means that we need to eliminate competing desires. Going back to what we said, it means that we need to relinquish our desire to put our plans before God's plans. We need to relinquish our desire to put our plans before God's. And I think if many of you were honest this morning, you were like, can we talk about something else now? (laughs) Again, what makes this scripture passage so difficult is the fact that 2,000 years later, we identify with the same struggles as each of these guys. I know I do. How many times has God prompted me to serve in some way or to take a step of faith in some way and I hadn't planned on it? And I found myself saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, but the timing here isn't really great for me. Let me do these things, and then can we talk about this tomorrow, or maybe next week, or maybe at the end of this year, because this year, I don't know if you know this, Lord, but these things are going on in my life, and I'm in school, and my family, and I've got all these plans and these things. So can I, can I obey a little bit later? Just not now, Lord. Maybe for you, it's Jesus, I want to serve you, but... 7 a.m. on a Sunday is a little early, isn't it? I mean, it's my only day, God. I love all the commercials on TV right now that say, it's Sunday morning, it's your day to sleep in, it's your day. You know, this is the culture that we live in. Or, Jesus, I want to support your kingdom, but first let me get my finances all straightened out. I'd like to give, I'd like to tithe, God, but you know I owe this money over here, and you know that... We're really tight in this way, and so let me get my plan taken care of, God, and then I'll start being obedient in tithing. Then I'll start giving to your kingdom. Or, Jesus, I want to go on a missions trip someday, but I can't leave my family, and taking vacation isn't right. I know you're pushing me, God. I know you're prompting me, God. I just can't do it right now. Or how about this one? Jesus, I'd love to spend some time with you this morning, but i got to get to work. (laughs) i got to get to work. Could we all just pause for a moment and admit something about our competing desires? Can we just sum up what each of these competing desires is really about, what each of these sacred cows are really about? I think one word sums them all up, and it's this, control. We want to be in control of our comfort and security. We want to be in control of what we believe is best for our family. We want to be in control of how our plans are going to go in life. Our desire to control is so strong. But let me tell you a secret about desires. Desires are like weeds in the garden, and if you don't do something about them, they will grow stronger, and eventually they just take over. Or we can bring them, we can address them, and we can bring them before God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? These competing desires to be comfortable in our life or to cling tightly to our plans or to have a perfect family or the family we've dreamed of having. 
If we hold on to these things too tightly, they're going to outgrow our desire for God and they're going to leave us feeling empty and we know it's true because we've all experienced it. Would you join me in this prayer this morning? God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us the courage to relinquish competing desires that we hold on to so tightly? Would you help us to see them as you do, as the very things that are keeping us from experience of experiencing a fully renewed desire for you. Amen.